You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. Andrew Alex here from ESPN Blacksburg. And as always, I am joined from my wonderful downtown Blacksburg studios to my friends on different sides of the country. Mike McDaniel from Sports Illustrated for the Basketball Conference Podcast. Where are you today? Virginia. So really just a different place. It's a different side. I guess <laughs> I just further north. Yeah. <laughs> So, so if Mike's in Northern Virginia and I'm in Southwestern Virginia, then getting Ricky LeBlue from the 757, we have truly triangulated the state of Virginia or the Commonwealth of Virginia, should I say. Ricky, what's going on, bro? Dude, I have never, ever felt more like an old man in my life. I haven't left the house in two days. My back hurts uh, and I'm drinking. So... There yeah, I, I, qu- quarantine's not doing so well for me, man. Rick is killing retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, the, the cool thing about it is, is we can still play golf. So true. when my back feels good, I can go out and shoot 120 on, on the links, and we'll be really, really killing retirement. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, and I don't know if if anyone – has the same sentiment, but I'm kind of a hypochondriac. I'm kind of a germaphobe. So I get worried about, you know, catching the coronavirus. And anytime I feel sore or aches and pains, I'm like, Oh no, here it comes. And then I'm like, Oh wait, no, you've literally just been lying on the couch for the majority of the last two weeks. Of course you're sore idiot. So pray for it to be that and praying for all of our health and all the health of Hokie nation and the listeners you know, around the world as we tackle this major pandemic crisis, which from what we know is really going to hit a, a turning point for the worst for two weeks of April. So, but on a brighter note, even though a sing- not a single sport has been played for the better part of the last two weeks since the NBA shut down the league because of Rudy Robert's coronavirus and things really spiraled at a crazy rate. But for Hokie Nation, the last few days have been action-packed and filled with news. And that's really highlighted today on the basketball front. The Hokies pick up a big-time grad transfer. Cartier Diara, the guard out of Kansas State, a guy who averaged 13.3 points per game, about four rebounds, and about four assists this year at Kansas State. One of the better players on their team. He has left Kansas State. He is coming to Blacksburg to reunite with his former assistant coach, Chester Frazier. Chester and him were together when Kansas State made that Final Four run just a few seasons ago. Mike, I'm going to ask you first, 
What does Cartier Diara bring to this Hokie team? couple things. He brings experience. Um, he has a familiarity with Chester Frazier, like you mentioned. It's a big reason why uh, Cartier Diara is now in Blacksburg. Um, had the relationship with uh, Coach Frazier from when he was at Kansas State just a little over a year ago, actually. Um, Mike Young brought Chester Frazier to Blacksburg to be his assistant. And, uh, you know, Frazier obviously took that opportunity. And now with Diara hitting the transfer portal, Virginia Tech was one of those teams who was heavily involved um, in his recruitment uh, once he fully entered the portal. This is big for Virginia Tech. And, and what this brings is veteran experience, which you can never have enough of in college basketball, especially in your backcourt. Um, especially in year two of your rebe- uh, rebuild. That, that's correct. And senior leadership, specifically in the backcourt, some of the best teams in the country usually have a guard, maybe two, who are upperclassmen who are really freaking good and have experience. And the good thing about Diara is that he's a career 42% shooter from the floor, which is good. Um, Virginia Tech has really missed scoring punch out of their backcourt. We've talked about Wibisabidi on this podcast. He has a lot of strengths in his game. He doesn't turn the basketball over. Um, he plays excellent defense. He runs the offense to a T for Mike Young, and Mike Young has commended him on that several times. The one thing that Wabisabidi needs to improve upon, and we've talked about this at length, is his ability to score. And he kind of is what he is at this point, unless he takes a major, major step forward in his senior year. He kind of is what he is at this point. He's a very good pass-first point guard. And that's fine if you have shooters to complement that. But Virginia Tech, when they were struggling this year, especially in conference play, they didn't have the shooters around Wabisabidi that you need if you're going to have a pass-first point guard running the one as a starter in the ACC. So Cardia Diara brings um, a, a presence either as the point guard or as a shooting guard playing off-ball to Wabisabidi. He brings a necessary scoring punch. He's got a mid-30s three-point percentage, which is decent. Um, again, shooting the low 40s percent uh, as far as percentage is concerned over the course of his college career. Uh, he's consistent. And, and the one thing that's concerning some Virginia Tech fans, I've already seen it floating around, is that he butted heads with Bruce Weber and he was an issue in the locker room at Kansas State. A lot of this stemmed from Cartier Diara getting benched. Um, they wanted to bring him off the bench as more of a role player rather than a starter. At Kansas State, he was still playing huge minutes for uh, the Wildcats. He played a lot, uh, but he was coming off the bench. That didn't sit well with him, um, and it strained the relationship with himself and Bruce Weber. I'm not as concerned about that aspect of this, number one, because of the relationship he has with Chester Frazier. Um, if Chester Frazier didn't think he'd be a good fit for Virginia Tech, he wouldn't have told Mike Young to pursue him with so many other grad transfers that Virginia Tech's in the mix for, um, or has at least reached out to. Um, but, but number two, say it doesn't work out, right? This is a very young team. If this guy comes into a locker room and it doesn't work out, he's only got one year of eligibility left anyway. So by the time it really becomes an issue, he's got one foot out the door anyways on to bigger and better things. So if that's the downside and that's the trade-off for a guard who's got proven experience at the Division One level, has been a good player for Kansas State and a good conference in the Big 12, I'm all for it. Plus, he has a familiarity with Frazier. I think it's, I think it's a home run. I think it's going to be good. Um, and like I said, if it's not... I don't know how big of an impact it has on Virginia Tech next year if he ends up being a locker room problem. I just don't foresee that being a major issue. Everybody seems to really like and get along with Mike Young. Frazier seems to really like uh, Diara and what he brings to the table. I think it's a good move for the Hokies and something they desperately needed. Ricky, 
Virginia Tech already has Robisa Bidi on the roster. They have Jalen Cohn on the roster. They're bringing in two high-end shooting guard freshmen next year in, in Joe Bamasil and Darius Maddox. How do you see Diara fitting into that equation next year for the Hokies? I really don't know. Um, I'm not a. I, I'm definitely not as high on this addition as Mike or as a lot of people on Twitter and things like that. Um, I do like the ability that he brings in terms of creating his own shot. I think that that's something Virginia Tech lacked a lot last year, and we talked about it on the pod, uh, particularly at guard. Um, Jalen Cohn, being as, as small as he is, it's harder for him to create his own shot. Uh, Wabi Sabidi cannot create his own shot. Naheem Aline's a bit all over the place. Um, the only person that could really create their own shot in the backcourt last year was Tyrese Radford. Um, so now you get a guy who can do that now, somebody that can attack you off the dribble and break you down a bit and, and start to create some offense from there. But, Angie, you bring up a good point. There's a lot of guards on this roster. Now, that being said, Virginia Tech's probably going to play a lot of guards um, just because they don't have the front court depth. Even next year, they're going to have uh, KV Aluma, PJ Horn, uh, David and Gessen comes in. I'm not expecting him to play next year. Um, so th there isn't going to be a lot of depth there up front. So you can afford to play three, maybe even four guards at once, uh, which is something we've seen a lot of in, in Blacksburg over the last several years. So I definitely think he's going to get minutes. I don't know if he's going to start right away. I don't know if he should start right away. Like I said, I'm not as big on this move as a lot of people. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, th there's... There's a lot of unknown regarding him. I haven't really had a chance to watch any serious film of him, uh, so I can't really tell you what he brings defensively. Um, but just looking at the statistics and watching uh, a bit of what I've read, um, I, I don't think he's a slam dunk fit with the offense. Now, Mike, obviously with the addition, there also has to come some subtraction given the fact that the Hokies had pretty much maxed out their scholarship count for the 2020-21 season. Today, it was announced that Isaiah Wilkins has entered the transfer portal. And by the looks, or, or basically from what we've heard, it doesn't seem as if that decision was necessarily come to it on its own. Let's talk about Wilkins a little bit and, and talk about what happened and possibly some locations that you might imagine that he could land. Yeah. So Mark Berman of the Roanoke times put out an article today and he talked directly to Isaiah Wilkins. Um, I guess Isaiah Wilkins had a conversation with Mike young and look, Virginia tech. Let's, let's back up a step real quick. Virginia tech. Like I mentioned, they've been in on a lot of grad transfers, right? It's been reported by numerous recruiting outlets and people in the know um, talking about, how Virginia Tech has reached out to a number of players who have hit the transfer portal, specifically grad transfers. And, you know, you think about who had transferred out of the program already or who at least entered the portal. Landers Nolly, right? Landers Nolly hits the portal, but David Nguesson jumps right in like a day later. And now he's on the roster and automatically that scholarship's gone now, right? So you're back to full amount of scholarships and you don't have any, you know, full amount of scholarship players and you don't have anybody to really give this scholarship to if you're going to bring in a grad transfer. So Isaiah Wilkins, it's announced this morning that he's on to bigger and better things. Um, he moves on and, you know, they bring Diara in. 
And Virginia Tech is still in on a number of grad transfers. So could there be more attrition? Sure. I mean, there could be, you know, Jonathan Cabongo, for example, who didn't play last year. You know, does he move on? That That's one name I'm kind of keeping an eye on. The other guy was Isaiah Wilkins. So Mark Berman um, reaches out to Wilkins. Wilkins basically says, look, I had a conversation with Mike Young. He was forthright with me. It wasn't necessarily my decision to transfer, but he was forthright and honest with me about what he thought my prospects were at Virginia Tech, right? And Wilkins played a lot under Buzz Williams as a freshman. He was one of those role players off the bench as a true freshman that got a lot of run last year when Virginia Tech was making their Sweet 16, uh, their Sweet 16 run. And it was clear that Buzz Williams really liked Wilkins, right? Wilkins stuck around once Buzz Williams went to Texas A&M and was not really a fit this year with what Mike Young wanted to do. Mike Young did not play Wilkins as much as I, certainly I expected him to um, as the season went on. And this is not a surprise to me um, that Wilkins is transferring. It's a little bit of a surprise that Mike Young told well, had to basically tell Wilkins, look, I don't see you playing a lot moving forward with the program. I just don't think you're fit for the offense. But at the same time, I do respect Mike Young for having the conversation with him. And Wilkins said the same thing to Mark Berman. He said, look, I respected Coach Young a lot for saying, look, I don't think your skills are going to be maximized in this system. Um, I don't think you're a great fit. I like you. I want you to be able to land at a good spot at another program where you're going to get more playing time and more burn. I think that's a really good thing. Um, so Young has a conversation with Wilkins, obviously knowing that he's in the transfer market, trying to land somebody like Cartier Diara. Who knows if that was, you know, something that had already kind of been done. And that was part of the conversation, too. We'll never know. But with all that being said, that's why Isaiah Wilkins is out the door. Now, if we continue hearing Virginia Tech being involved with graduate transfers and being interested in their recruitment, Read the tea leaves, people. I know that there are no scholarships available, and I've talked to numerous people about this on Twitter. People have been asking me, how are they going to sign this kid to a scholarship if there are no scholarships available? you got to read the tea leaves in every single situation. Who didn't play as much as you expected last year? Who didn't play at all last year? Who has had injury issues or issues with the coaching staff? I'm not saying that's the case here because it's not, but those are types of things you look for in these situations where, oh, there are no scholarships available right now. But school X is in on three or four transfer players. Why is that? It's because they're expecting attrition on the roster, just like it would happen in football. Do the same thing. And that's exactly right, Mike. And for both of you, do you see Wilkins, based on what we we saw out of him in two seasons on the team, like you said, significant playing time under Buzz Williams in season number two, I mean, the minutes and the points pretty much remain the same. The stat line remains the same. But that's not what you would expect out of a player that averaged about 14 minutes a game when he was roughly the last guy off the bench getting serious time and everyone above him either graduated or, or went professional. Do you see Wilkins as a guy that could land at another ACC, Big Ten, you know, a power basketball school or do you think he's bound for a more mid-major type program? I don't know. Um, Wilkins didn't necessarily impress me in his two seasons in Blacksburg. I think it's a shame um, that this is a part of college basketball and college athletics in general. I absolutely hate the fact that um, 
coaches for all intents and purposes can tell players to kick rocks. Cause let's be honest, that's what Mike Young did here. He, he, he might've done it respectfully. Uh, and it doesn't mean that Mike Young is doing things that other programs aren't doing, but this is one of the parts of college athletics that I'll never be a fan of. Um, it's we're getting closer and closer to free agency fellas. And it's not just going to be on the, the, the player side where players can transfer whenever they want. It's going to be on the coach's side too. And this happens quite frequently when you have coaches basically go have a meeting with the player and explain to them, look, you're not going to play and you should just go ahead and transfer. Now, I know Mike Young didn't say those specific words, but he didn't have to. Um, so I don't know where Wilkins is going to end up. I hope the best for him. Um, and I, again, it, it's a shame that this happens um, in college athletics because, you know, this this isn't what college athletics is supposed to be, in my opinion. Um, I know that may sound a bit naive, but that's just how I feel about it. But, I mean, to push back on that, isn't it better that it worked out this way? I mean, if Mike Young knows that Isaiah Wilkins, who, A, you know, he's signed for a different coach. When Isaiah Wilkins came here, he was signing up to play in Buzz Williams' system, under Buzz Williams. A very different, you know, type of basketball conceptually, a very different type of coach. If they know he's not going to play, isn't it good that he can know that in advance and find an opportunity to maximize his talents elsewhere? I mean, it's not great because, you know, you think back to the days when everyone was a four-year player and it, 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 I guess, exuded more loyalty. But at the end of the day, think of all the players who 10, 20 years ago spent four years riding pine that would have loved this opportunity. All, I, all I'm going to say to that is if Isaiah Wilkins wanted to leave, he would have said that to Mark Berman. Instead, Isaiah said he didn't plan on transferring uh, until he had this discussion with Mike Young. I I don't know what else you want me to say. I mean, he, he it's, it, it, it's, it, it's an unfortunate reality. It, it is what it is. It's never going to change. I understand that. I accept it. That doesn't mean that I personally can't hate that part of college athletics when coaches can basically cut players without cutting them and players can up and leave a program that gave them a chance when nobody else did. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mike, what are your thoughts on where Wilkins could land? I think it's going to be a mid-major um, or, I mean, if he, if he does land at a power five school, it'll be one that... Uh, well, I, I don't want to say it's for sure because I don't know, but I, I don't think it'll be one that's in the ACC or the SEC. I don't think he'll go necessarily to the SEC and play for like Buzz Williams, for example. That's going to be a popular narrative push. I don't see that happening. Um, if Wilkins averaged like 18 and five and decide he was going to transfer, I think Buzz Williams would happily take him. Um, I also think if he averaged 18 and five, he wouldn't be leaving Blacksburg to Ricky's point. So um, I, I think Wilkins ends up at a mid-major, um, a place where he can start uh, if he has professional aspirations. I'm not talking about the NBA, but if he had professional aspirations like overseas, etc., um, and, and he put up good enough numbers at a mid-major, that would make him attractive to continue to play basketball professionally. I mean, the NBA is, is in a lot of cases, to many of us, to be all and end all. But there are so many really good college basketball players that never play or never have a major role in the NBA that 
have excellent careers overseas and still make boatloads of money. And if that's what Wilkins wants and that's what he wants, you know, for his future and that's in the cards for him moving forward, I think a mid-major might be better for him. I, I like Wilkins. I personally like Wilkins' game a lot. Um, I wasn't entirely sure why Mike Young didn't play him more, especially when he was looking for offense, because there were some times um, throughout uh, the year, two years ago, I guess, going on two seasons ago with Buzz Williams when the Hokies were making their Sweet 16 run when Wilkins played like major minutes in big games during ACC play and was a really good defender, a really good rebounder, um, and a guy you could rely on on the offensive end a bit as well. Um, He was a role player, certainly, but he was a reliable player. Um, And I I think it's kind of a shame that turned out like this for him but if he's not fit for the system he's not fit for the system onward and upward and we'll just kind of see where he ends up but I think a mid-major is definitely a, a spot where I can see him landing if Virginia Tech were to add another grad transfer at this point knowing what we know now what kind of player would you want them to add position and skill set wise now I'm um I, I'm riding Ricky's coattails on this because he and I have had Differing, I mean, we both agree that this is kind of what Virginia Tech needed, right? They needed some sort of guard or wing that could shoot or um, a forward who could stretch the floor. Uh, Ricky was higher on the forward who could stretch the floor. I think if Virginia Tech's going back into the grad transfer portal, that's where they're going next. I think they have to have another big who can stretch the floor, who's a reliable rebounder, uh, who's athletic. Um, They added athleticism to their roster with Cartier Diara. He's already one of the most athletic players on Virginia Tech's roster now next season. So they upgraded the athleticism department. It would be nice if Virginia Tech was able to continue to do that only with their front court. Last thing, I, I did read somewhere that Diara wasn't necessarily a sure thing for Virginia Tech, that he was still technically mulling, I, I guess, going to the NBA as a possibility. I guess what that would entail is having professional scouts give you the green light and say that's a good idea. Do you think there's any chance of that happening, or or do you expect to see Diera in Blacksburg next year? I don't think Mike Young would have basically told Isaiah Wilkins to leave if he wasn't 100% sure that Diara was going to be playing. So Bingo. I, I know the NBA was a possibility for, for Diara at one point. Um, clearly, he was told that that wasn't going to be the option for him moving forward, and he needed to stay another year in school. And that was when he probably started seriously evaluating his graduate transfer offers. And my guess is that he picked Virginia Tech one to two days ago. And once he did that, Mike Young had the conversation with Isaiah Wilkins to make sure he had a scholarship spot open. And and to that point, we could see a similar timeline if Virginia Tech adds another graduate transfer. Once he secures the commitment silently, um, he'll free up the the scholarship that he needs on his roster, and then they'll announce the uh, they'll announce the signing. Yep. All right, now let's transfer over to the football side here, and we'll talk about a little bit about Travion Henderson. Henderson, obviously, a Virginia native, the number one ranked running back in the country. Got Blacksburg very excited. There were please come home Travion signs all over town. People got excited after, you know, he he talked to, I guess it was this 24-7 guy or something like that and said that the visit to Blacksburg went very well. And ultimately, on the day of the decision, he commits to Ohio State, a school that he had not attended a visit in person yet. 
and, and basically send signals that Virginia Tech might not even have been in that final group. Some fans up in arms, they use this as evidence that Justin, but they can't reel in the big fish. Others say, you know, that's a player that might have been outside of Virginia Tech's range anyway. So my question for you guys is, what do you take from the Hokies' inability to lock down the best player in the state and, frankly, one of the best players in the country? I don't want to sound I don't want to make like this lazy argument or make it sound like it's this crazy narrative. I know people are going to be listening to this who don't agree with me and they're going to say I'm I'm making a lazy point. Unless you're related to a Fuller or an Edmonds brother, like Virginia Tech has not been pulling in this type of recruit in quite some time. And that's a fact. That's not narrative, that's not spin. That's a fact. Virginia Tech has not pulled in an elite athlete like this in a very long time. The closest that they've gotten to it is Devin Hunter. Devin Hunter hasn't done anything at Virginia Tech. We're going into uh, his, counting his redshirt year, we're going into year number four, and he has yet to make an impact at Virginia Tech. He was one of the most highly rated recruits in school history. Hasn't really played yet. Um, That's significant, right? Virginia Tech needs to consistently develop talent and win on the field. And if you start stringing together consistent winning seasons, the recruits will come. Everybody who's suggesting that Travion Henderson and and a lot of this is fan spin on Twitter thinking that we had a real shot at him. We never, Virginia Tech never had a shot at Travion Henderson. I don't care what anybody says. They never had a chance at him. And that's not a knock on Virginia Tech as much as it is just a reality, a recruiting reality right now in college football. If you are an elite program that's putting a lot of kids in the pros, that's winning and competing and winning national championships, competing for college football playoff spots, consistently winning conference championships. Those are the schools pulling in the top kids right now. Those are the kids pulling in the most blue chip recruits. Think Georgia, think Ohio State, think Alabama, think Clemson. Um, Those are the types of schools right now that are leaps and bounds ahead of everybody on the recruiting trail because they're the ones playing for national championships. The biggest difference, and Andrew, I I know we talked about this on the radio today, the biggest difference between a school like Ohio State that's elite, 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 where they have guys all over the field, four- and five-star athletes everywhere, and a school like Notre Dame, for example, a very good football school who's consistently won nine or ten games against a very good schedule. The difference between those two types of schools is that one school has like a depth chart, a two or three deep on the depth chart with four- and five-star guys, and a Notre Dame who has the starters, right? You have 22 guys who are four and five star guys, and you don't have that kind of consistent blue chip depth beneath them. When somebody leaves the game, somebody gets hurt, etc. You don't have that, right? The depth is what separates the best teams in college football right now from schools like Notre Dame, Florida's of the world, um, before last year, LSU, like those types of schools. And then there's another group of schools that Virginia Tech is in. They're fighting for the the top 25 to 35 range in college football right now. That's where Virginia Tech is. Those schools almost never, ever get blue chip recruits. And the only reason why Virginia Tech has done that more recently, despite having on-field success has kind of gone up and down, is because it's been relate the, the person has been related to somebody on the roster. He's been a fuller, like Kendall Fuller. They got lucky with Devin Hunter, right? They were able to land him, but he hasn't done anything yet. So who cares what his star rating is? Um, You think about some of the guys who have produced for Virginia Tech 
Like Caleb Farley, for example, he's one of the best corners in the country. He wasn't rated as highly as Devin Hunter. Who do you value more on this roster right now, Devin Hunter or Caleb Farley? The answer is Caleb Farley. He's a better player. So you want to be able to pull in these elite four and five star guys. But at the end of the day, it's all on the coaching staff, especially in this situation that Virginia Tech is in right now and has been for a while. That 20 to 30 range that Virginia Tech has been in for a really, really long time, that means you have to develop talent on the field and be winning consistently if you want to have any sort of chance of pulling in a five-star or two in like a decade. That's where Virginia Tech is right now with recruiting, and they got to start winning games on the field to make that happen. Yeah, Mike, and to your point, if you look at 24-7 sports, Virginia Tech has only ever gotten four five-star recruits since they started tracking recruiting in 24-7 sports. One of those is Kevin Jones, who committed basically right around the prime, the peak of Virginia Tech football. Number two, like you mentioned before, Kendall Fuller, whose brother was already on the team. <laughs> then you have Marcus Vick. That seems like a, you know, a no-brainer, kind of set up for success there. And the last one being uh, Tyrod Taylor. So out of those, you know, you talk about the ability to reel in the big fish in the state. Tyrod Taylor, really the only big catch that Virginia Tech football has been able to make during this 20-year span. On the other side of that, you look at Ohio State, right? Travion Henderson's the third five-star recruit they've brought in just for this 2021 class. They almost have as many five-star recruits in the 2021 class that Virginia Tech has gotten in the last 20 years. So we talk about on-field success, and Virginia Tech is obviously not shown anywhere near Ohio State's level, at least in the college football playoff era and obviously beyond. You talk about money, and Virginia Tech doesn't nearly have the budget, the facilities, the things to offer these athletes. And the credentials of pro after pro after pro. See Ezekiel Elliott, see Michael Thomas, Terry McLaurin, Chase Young coming out. He's going to be one of the top two picks in the draft this year. You can't blame a kid for picking Ohio State. Ohio State is a football machine, but Ricky, I, I want to hear your opinion on this. What, what do you make of this? I don't disagree with anything Mike said. Um, however, I will say two things can be true at once. Um, the first thing being Virginia Tech has an extremely small chance of landing any of these elite guys. The other thing is that Justin Fuente thus far, um, at least in, in the last two to three cycles, is showing a severe inability to recruit in-state. Um, you can look at the numbers yourself. I'm not going to repeat them here. I don't know them off the top of my head, but we all know the data is there. Um, Justin and his staff have, they just haven't been able to get it done. I mean, go up and down the roster, specifically at running back. Kalan LeBourne, 2017, didn't happen. Ricky Slade, 2018, didn't happen. Devin Ford, which was the biggest punch in the gut of them all because Tech was considered the favorite for literally the entire recruitment. Didn't happen. So then you get Trayvon Henderson, another in-state kid, another in-state running back, another four or five-star guy. No. And and as it turned out, if you watch the damn video, Virginia Tech wasn't even in the final group. Virginia was. 
Now, I don't know if that means anything, but I mean, come on. Virginia Tech did not have a chance at Travion Henderson, and unfortunately, it's business as usual. Virginia Tech has not made any serious inroads in recruiting under Justin Fuente. They just haven't. And uh, I don't know if it's going to get any better. I really like Daryl Tapp. I think he's been an excellent addition to the roster. Daryl Tapp has shown that this Virginia Tech football staff at least somewhat understands social media. Um, But other than that, I I don't know who your big in-state recruiter is. And to be quite fair, Daryl Tapp is in his first year coaching. Now, the, the guy's got an immaculate track record. He was a terrific college player. He was a lengthy pro, played for several teams. The guy knows what he's talking about, but it's not like he's a guy that's proven he can put players in the league. So I like the hire of Daryl Tapp, but you don't have a legitimate recruiter on the roster thus far, or excuse me, on the coaching staff thus far, and I don't know when that's going to change. On the other side of this, Virginia Tech brings in Will Johnston, a, a an athlete in the 2021 class, high-end three-star guy who was the defensive player of the year as a junior in one of the most competitive football conferences in the country, a, a conference that sports the likes of DeMatha up there in Maryland. That's a football powerhouse. Do you, you, got, you guys view that as a positive sign of things to come for the 2021 class? Is this kind of a, a worthy distraction? No. No, it's not. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and get super hype about a three-star kid recruiting. The kid could be really good. I don't know, but it's way too early to tell. So anyone celebrating this as a a tremendous pickup is just they're they're way out in front, man. I mean, we have no idea what this kid's gonna do. The kid's six foot two, two hundred pounds, and they're they're projecting him as a linebacker. I mean, I understand that that's roughly similar to what Alan Tisdale was doing, but as of right now, I don't see how you can seriously bank on Will Johnson being a serious player and a serious contributor to your roster because it's just way too damn early. Yeah, I disagree. So Will Johnson is, uh, he was WCAC player of the year. He's not a four or five star guy. So from from that standpoint, from like a pedigree standpoint, I, I get it. But WCAC is one of the best football conferences in the country at the high school level. Defensive player of the year in that conference is a significant accomplishment. Um, Good counsel to Matha Gonzaga. He played at St. Mary's Riken, who my school played in high school. Um, They got some athletes. Uh, The kid's film is really good. Um, He's a little bit undersized. You're watching highlights. He's he's a little bit undersized, and I think that's why he's a three star, right? I mean, you mentioned he's six two, two hundred pounds. He they don't know if he's going to project as a linebacker or as a safety. He's listed literally on two different recruiting sites at different positions. Um, he's a little bit of a tweener, and I think that's why he's a lower-rated recruit. But anytime you're a defensive player of the year in a conference that's putting guys not only at high-level Power 5 schools, but a lot of a lot of guys are going to the pros, um, and you're a defensive player of the year in that conference, and maybe it's just because I'm, I'm biased, I'm from the D.C. area, and I know what kind of schools those are for football, you can play ball. So I think this is a good commitment for Virginia Tech, and I don't know... Again, I don't know what he's going to be. We don't know what any of these kids are going to be. We've had this conversation before, right? Like even with um, the the 2020 recruiting class, that's really, really bad on paper. The worst that Virginia Tech's ever had, worse in the Power Five. I know blue chip recruits matter. I just spoke to that two minutes ago. Like I know how important blue chip recruits are, but I also think that you need to develop good talent, right? 
and guys who have potential. And if you're the defensive player of the year and one of the best high school conferences in the country playing against multiple kids um, at each school who are going to be playing at the Power 5 level, I think it's a big commitment. I think it's a kid that who can obviously come in. I think he can play a big role. It's just going. To, what's going to matter here is what is he going to be? Is he going to be a linebacker? Is he going to be a safety? Is he going to put weight on? Is he going to keep his speed up? Like, what's he going to be at the college level? I think that's the biggest question here with this commitment. But I, I don't think there's any question about he can play. Anytime you're defensive player of the year in one of the best high school conferences in the country, sign me up. I don't care what the star rating is. Two things. Number one, yes, it is important that Virginia Tech finds guys that they can develop into solid contributors. I, I understand that, and I agree with it. However, if the guy had a seriously high ceiling, 247, Rivals, ESPN, all these recruiting sites would have noticed they're getting better and better every single cycle at pointing these guys out. Now, their hit rate is not 100%. There are plenty of guys who are four- and five-star kids that are busts, but they're pretty damn good at identifying talent, and he's he's a three-star kid. Um, the other thing is is that, it's it, again, it, it is important to get this, but it doesn't overshadow the fact that you can't recruit in-state the, with the elite guys. I understand that you got... A, a solid or a somewhat solid prospect out of Maryland. That that's terrific. But the real issue still stands. Just because you got a three-star kid that may develop into somebody doesn't mean that it, 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 this trend that we've noticed over the last several years. And, and look, let's be honest, it goes back further than Fuente, but it's not getting any better. Virginia Tech can't recruit in-state with the elite guys. No, I, I agree. with This has nothing to do with the state of Virginia. I just think it's a good commitment. I agree with everything you just said. Well, it, 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 I, 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 Virginia is certainly well documented. My point was that Andrew Andrew was talking about how it relates to the Travion Henderson commitment, and I certainly don't think oh no, Virginia no. Tech fans should ignore or not talk about Virginia Tech's lack of recruiting in state and then ignore that for, oh, look, Will Johnston committed. Oh, no, no, absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely Will not. Johnson may be one of the best linebackers to play at Virginia Tech. He may be, but we don't know that. Yep. When you get a four or five star kid, I know this is you know kind of ironic because Virginia Tech got one in Devin Hunter. He hasn't done anything yet, but generally when you get those guys, they produce on the field. So there's, it, it's it, it's tough, and I I, I want to give credit where credit is due, and you know, and it, it, we when we go back in December when. Signing day finally comes around. We'll probably say that he's probably a pretty good recruit for this class, and we have moderately high hopes for him developing into a starter. But every time you have a recruiting cycle, even though it's important to talk about the kids you get, it's even more important, in my opinion, to talk about the kids you missed on. I I mean, that's fair. I I think, is it fair to say that while we look at this 2021, I guess it's going to be the 2021 recruiting class. It's important that they at least can get back and make inroads and get two or three of the guys in the top 10 of the state of Virginia right now. They have, they're not doing it. Yeah, it's early, but it's not looking good. It's early, but it's not looking good. But it's not looking good. So many people kept telling me, wait, wait till 2021. Staff's going to do a lot better. All this, that, and the other. Well, guess what? We're in April now, basically. And 
because this is the 31st we're recording. Guess what? Things aren't looking all that good. I understand it's early. I understand that there's time still to go. But right now, the best recruit in your class is Demetrius Davis, an undersized quarterback recruit. And Easy. You can't bank on you can't bank on him being a stud. You can't bank on any of these guys being a, lot a stud. Of people, a lot of people are. Well, you know what? what? What happened with Devin Hunter? Everybody banked on Devin Hunter, including myself, being in a game-changing, a program-changing recruit. You're talking out both sides of your mouth, Ricky. You're talking out both sides of your mouth. You're saying that we need to get the blue chip guys. We need to get the four and five star recruits. And then we get the four and five star recruits. Demetrius Davis is not a blue chip recruit. Is he? he No, he's not. He's He's, a very good recruit. He's he's the best quarterback in the state of Texas. If he was an elite, just because not all the good players are in Texas. He's the number six quarterback in the country. I understand yeah. that, but if he was such a blue chip recruit, you know where he'd be going to play school or, or play football? Alabama, Oklahoma, LSU. So Ohio. now, so now it's an indictment to get a good player. What are you talking about? No, I'm saying you can't look. Just because they got this one guy, doesn't mean that he's going to change the face of the program. Why not? It's a very, because he plays the most not- important position on the field in college football. He's the number six quarterback in the country, and he committed to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's not pulling in four and five star guys consistently. We've established that. So now they pull one in. It's an indictment because he's six feet tall. Oh, you guys are taking this way out of context. My my original point is this: you have to land these guys. However, just because you get one doesn't mean you're all of a sudden doing a great job. That's my point. That's that's fair. Okay. That's fair. Got to start somewhere, though. Yes, you do have to start somewhere. But everyone's been telling me over the last six months, this 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 is the year Virginia Tech's going to make inroads, and right now it ain't happening. It's not looking good. Um, no, now, it's not. In, inroads as far as, like, a top 20 class, like, that's not looking good. I think what this is going to end up being. and They're not making inroads in the state either. They're not making inroads in the state of Virginia, at least with the top prospects. And the other side of the coin is that Virginia Tech has, and we just talked about this at kind of length, Virginia Tech's historically been in the top, you know, in the number 20 to 30 range as far as recruiting is concerned. Like, they don't have a lot of classes that break into the top 20. So to expect them to all of a sudden go from, what they finish, like 73rd or something like that in 2020, going from there to all of a sudden we're going to have a top 20 class when we went, we went eight and five against a mediocre schedule last year. Like that's not going to happen. Reasonably speaking. What I think this class is going to be is I think it's going to end up being a top 25 class, like in that range where they usually are and getting back to usual Virginia tech recruiting, as far as like making inroads are concerned and like being a top 20 class for somebody to expect that after what they've been doing on the field, the last two years, they've won 14 games the last two years. They've been a seven win program the last two seasons. They just had a a recruiting class to finish worse than the power five in the mid seventies. That's not good to expect a, a team that's averaging seven wins a year that's coming from the mid seventies in recruiting last year to then break into the top 20 for fans that expect that it's unreasonable. It's not going to happen unless you hit a home run with like three or four of the top in-state guys, which as Ricky alluded to, they are not doing right now. 100% my only, not doing. My only counterpoint to that is this is Fuente's handpicked staff. Yes. This yep. is excuses this is are over. Group, this is the group he brought in. So Fuentes made his bed. 
Yep. It's now time for him to lay in it, yep. however it may turn out. No excuse. No excuse. Excuse making is over. Like, it's yeah. done. It's done. Yeah. They're way past that. People that peddled the, the, the conspiracy theory that Bud and Fuente had this underlying riff, which I think is a bunch of nonsense anyway, and that that was what was holding Fuente back. Well, guess what? Fuente hired all these guys. Yep. Yeah. This is his handpicked group, and this is why... This recruiting class and this season is so damn important because the excuses are over. There are yep. none. Yeah. And I think, and, and Andrew, I'll let you butt in here in a moment. I think reasonably speaking, though, this will be a top 25 recruiting class and Virginia Tech needs to win probably nine games to start restoring fan confidence again to make inroads, like real actual inroads in 2022. It's like, okay, we just won nine games again. Fuente now has two nine win seasons and a 10 win season. If we're talking about like next recruiting cycle, best case scenario. Okay. I have two nine win seasons and a 10 win season. We just had a top 25 recruiting class. Let's start building off of that. That's what Virginia they, Tech needs to do. If they finish in the top 25, I'll be the first one to give them credit. Yeah. They're at, um, I believe they're at 20 a, after their commitment this 28. afternoon, they are 28th. So yeah. They're just inside the top 30. So we'll have to, I mean, it's obviously early in the cycle, like I said, but they, they got to, they got to get somebody in state and it's not looking, it's early in the cycle, but it's not looking great. I mean, I think that kind of agreeing with you, Mike, the expectation here has to be a return to normalcy in terms of Virginia tech recruiting, hopefully hitting a home run with this Demetrius Davis kid who, you know, as the number six quarterback in the country, I think it's fair that fans are getting excited about him. I think it's fair that expectations are really high. And if you can have a decent class, a good season on the field, and then bring in a guy that, you know, like I said, a lot of people think could be a, a, a program-changing quarterback, that's a, that's a step in the right direction for Point Day and the staff coming off of a recruiting class that can only be defined as an embarrassment to the program. And the, the one thing that's a little bit that I will say concerns me a little bit is that the, and you hit these random recruits every now and then you land a guy who's a top guy who you're not expecting to necessarily get, who commits to your school. The one thing that concerns me about Demetrius Davis, it's a little random that he committed to Virginia tech. He's from Texas and we're really early in the cycle. By all, and this is just conspiracy theory, I know Ricky, you're right here with me on this. Conspiracy theory, Mike, is saying there is a long way from National Signing Day. So that's all I'll say. And he's been doing, he's been saying all the right stuff on social media. He's been actively all, trying to recruit guys for change. do that nowadays. They all do that now. That's exactly my point. They all do that nowadays. You don't, you don't stop recruiting these kids. Yep. And you don't until, stop until the pen hits the paper, you don't stop recruiting. That's right. And you don't recruit. The early signing period now is in December. It's a long time. If Virginia Tech struggles on the field and Demetrius Davis is still getting pushed very hard by other schools, which why wouldn't he be? He's one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Just keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on that. It's all yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, obviously, it's something that, fans and us as alumni and people who are really invested in the program don't like to think about, but it is the reality of college football this year. But, you know, like I said, if they go out and 
win nine games, win 10 games. It's something that you're not going to be worried about. But, you know, if you have some kind of 2020 equivalent to the slow start of the season that they had this year, that entire recruiting staff's blood pressure is going to be shooting through the roof. And that's just the reality of the situation. But, hey, we have been talking for roughly 50 minutes here. So I think we should wrap it up. We had another topic. We're going to talk about the coronavirus and the impact on the start of the college football season and what it could mean if things are altered. But that is a big conversation. We're going to have to save that for another day. So for Mike McDaniel and Ricky LeBlue, I am Andrew Alex. Thank you for joining us on the Hokie Hangover podcast. If you like what you are listening to, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to recommend us to a friend. Leave a review. Do whatever you have to do. We appreciate each and every listener. And, you know, without sports being played live right now, we hope that our analysis can give you at least a, a glimmer of hope for the things to come. So uh, we, I hope everyone has a wonderful night. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay inside. And go Hokies. Mm-hmm.